God, we thank you that we can offer you an older song like Amazing Grace, and we can offer you a newer song like Reckless Love. And God, you love all of that offering because it's your people praising you. And God, I pray that you would put a song within our hearts, even a new song of praise to our God. Father, I, I pray that we would not just praise you here. When we come together, it's so important and it's so valuable and it's worth so much to come together and praise you. But God, I pray that we would praise you everywhere we go with all of our lives. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we would offer our heart song, our praise to you. Father, I pray that you would speak this morning. Lord, you know good and well that if it's me speaking, if it's my words, my thoughts, then it's not going to be worth anything. But if it comes alive through your Holy Spirit, God, it's going to become rhema word to us. It's going to become a spiritual word to us, which will change us and will do something within us that will bless us and change us and, and make us more like Jesus. So, God, we pray that's what would happen here today. Unless you build the house, Lord, the laborers work in vain. And so, God, I pray that you would build this house. I believe, I pray that you would work through your people, God. Build your people. We love you. We praise you. God, you show us how good you are, Lord. When it seems dark, you bring light into our darkness. And we thank you, as your word says, that the darkness cannot overcome it. Light will always drive out darkness. All the darkness in the world can't put out the light of a single candle. And when we reflect the light of Jesus Christ, wow, what a, what a candle we are in the darkness. And so use us, God. We offer ourselves to you today, God. If there's somebody here today that does not know you through Jesus Christ, I pray that before we leave this place today that you would get a hold of their hearts. Thank you that you do come after us. You leave the 99 and you go after the one that's gone astray to bring that one into the fold, to bring that one back home. And God, I believe there may be some of those ones, those single sheep that are here today. And I pray you get a hold of them. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, we offer this prayer. And all of Rushwood said together, Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I'd like to say hey to everybody who's joining us online. We're glad that you could join us that way. We'd love for you to come and join us in person sometime, but we're so glad that you are tuning in here this morning to what's, what God is doing at Rushwood Church. Let me tell you some good things. Yeah, I've got several good things I could go over this morning, but a couple I really want to hit. God has been good to us this week. We have had more people saved through Rushwood Church Ministry just this week than all the rest of the year. We count our conference year since uh, June. All the rest of the year. And, and I'll tell you what's amazing. None of it's happened in this room. It's all happened outside of this room. And uh, I believe a lot of times we expect folks to come to us when God is saying, no, 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 I didn't ask you to bring them in. I told you to go. I told you to go out and take the gospel into all the world. And so that's what's happened this week. Just been a beautiful thing. We've had three young ladies at the Radiant Girls Retreat. And by the way, give it up for Julia Calico. She's been working all weekend. With a whole gaggle of teenage girls out at 
uh, Victory Mountain Youth Camp, and then she came in here and helped lead worship this morning. So we're so thankful for Julia and what she is doing as our worship director and our youth director all rolled into one. But we had three young ladies who made professions of faith to Jesus Christ uh, at Victory Mountain Camp this weekend, and, and there may be more. They're having another service this morning, so there may, may be more added to that total. But can we just give God some praise for that? with The Color and Saint Just Real and Building 429. And it was a sold out concert. I think our last count, including workers and everybody, we had 800, 817 people here for that event. So that was just a wonderful, wonderful sold out event. The groups ministered in a great way to all of us. Even Saint Just Real, one of, right before they came on stage, uh, one of their main musicians got sick got sick in the back, and back in the green room, don't worry, we've lifestyled it since. But anyway, he got sick, and so they had to literally go on to uh, Building 429's bus and get a cajon out, and they played an acoustic set and just ministered to us in a great way. It was a wonderful concert. The thing that I think touched me most of all was seeing people from different churches. I could recognize this person goes to that church, and this person goes to that church, but really there's only one church in Ashboro. I don't know if you know that, but there's only one, and that's the true church of the blood-bought saints of God. And we came together and had a good time, enjoying a time of praising God. One of our ladies here at the church sent me a text the next morning. She said, I went to bed praising God, and I woke up praising God. She said, I've never in my life spent three hours with so many people praising God and enjoying His presence. So it was just a great concert. God did wonderful things through that. We were able to raise about $3,000 for our youth group through that, so that was a wonderful thing as well. If you had any part in putting that on as far as helping to work that night, I know our youth did, I know a lot of our youth are out of the youth camp this morning, but our youth or other people, if you had any part in working that and helping to make that event the, the success it was, would you stand this morning? We want to honor you and appreciate what you did working that concert for us. Stand if you will. helping us put that concert on and we're praying that maybe we have other opportunities like that to minister to this community through that sort of thing. We have a fairly large worship center here and so we are able to do concerts like that and we figure we might as well use what God has given us and be good stewards of the blessings that he's blessed us with. I want to remind you this morning too before we go much further, I said this I think it was last week, maybe a couple of weeks ago. But you are sitting in the middle of a miracle. This church is not supposed to be here. It was supposed to die a few, several years ago. I've had people tell me this was the most damaged church they'd ever seen. Lots of problems, lots of issues. But God loved us enough to bring us back. God specializes in resurrections, by the way. And so he resurrected this place. And so this morning, I just want to remind you, you're sitting in the middle of a miracle. When I first got here, we knew this church needed to turn around, and so we worked real hard to invite new people in and see new people come into the church family because we knew this church needed to survive. But I want to tell you that uh, just from my heart this morning, I'm not sure we have that burden for the loss that we used to have when I first got here. And so I'm praying that God would reignite that fire 
and that you would get a passion to see this place. As Pastor Jason said, we had about 700 people in these pews, maybe a little bit more, last Sunday night for a concert. There's no reason that we cannot see that sort of thing on Sunday morning, to have more people hearing the gospel and hearing the good news about Jesus. And the way that's going to happen is you're going to pray and you're going to say, God, who do I need to talk to? Who do I need to invite? Who is in my circle of influence that I can bring to Rushwood, invite to Rushwood, even bribe them, tell them to take them out to lunch afterwards. That works really good sometimes. Work on people, invite them, get them here because I believe time is short. I believe Jesus is returning soon and I believe that we, we have this time right now to get people into the fold. So I pray that God would give me a renewed, renewed burden and He would give you a renewed burden for lost souls and people that don't know Jesus Christ. It's wonderful if somebody's having trouble in a church and they come in and they become part of this church and they find healing. That's great, but even better is somebody who doesn't have a church home, who doesn't know Jesus. That's what we're praying that God would do right now is to bring the lost sheep home through this church. And you get to be a part of that, and I get to be a part of that. Well, today, we're going to continue our series, The Seven Signs of John. The Seven Signs of John. We're on sign number six. This series has gone fast. I can't believe we're to this point already. But this morning, we're going to talk about Jesus' favorite miracle. Did you know that Jesus had a favorite miracle? At least it appears that way. There's one miracle that he worked more than any other miracle that he ever did in the Gospels. There's one that he did more times than anything else. And it's not the same person. So I told you before that there's only a couple of miracles that run across all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's only a couple of miracles. The resurrection and the feeding of the 5,000. This miracle actually occurs in all four Gospels, but it's different people. It's not the same person every time in all four Gospels. Jesus did have a favorite miracle. You guys curious about what it was? You ready for me to tell you? The favorite miracle that Jesus had was healing people with long-term blindness. Healing people with long-term blindness. More than anything else in the Gospels, that was Jesus' favorite miracle. That was the thing that he did the most, was to heal people who had been born blind or had long-term blindness. There may be a couple of reasons for that. Why? Why would that have been Jesus' favorite miracle? It's a great miracle. Probably not as impressive as some of his other miracles, though. I mean, if I were Jesus, I'm not sure that I would have picked healing the blind. It's, it's impressive. Probably not as impressive as walking on the water. I mean, you know, there are doctors now who, through medical procedures, can heal blindness from time to time. But I hadn't seen any of them walking on the water. Have you? Or, or raising people up from the dead. We're going to talk about that next week when we talk about the miracle of Lazarus, which is just an amazing way to end up this series. By the way, some people see that there's an eighth sign of John that doesn't just stop at sign number seven, but there's an eighth sign, and we're going to talk about that one Easter Sunday morning, and I can't wait to talk about that one, but probably healing the blind is not as impressive as walking on the water. Probably healing the blind is not as impressive as raising up somebody who was dead. So why? Why did Jesus have this as his favorite miracle? Well, let me give you the first reason. The first reason is to fulfill prophecy. Much of what Jesus did fulfilled the prophecy, the things that were predicted in the Old Testament by the Old Testament prophets that would be signs unto us that he really was the Messiah, that he really was the anointed one of God. And much of what Jesus did was in direct fulfillment of prophecy. 
Isaiah the prophet, chapter 35 and verse 5, Isaiah says, And when he comes, talking about the Messiah, And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind, and he will unplug the ears of the deaf. He will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. So it's been prophesied that this is what the Messiah is going to do. And then Luke chapter 4, let me give you a New Testament verse. Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and that the blind will see. The blind will see. That the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. So that's the first reason. The first reason this was Jesus' favorite miracle was he was fulfilling the prophecy about the Messiah in the Old Testament. But the second reason is this. Jesus healed the long-term blind to do something new. How many blind people, long-term blind people were healed in the Old Testament? Does anybody know? Zero. There was never a long-term blind person healed, somebody who was blind from birth. Not in the Old Testament at all. There was not the healing of the blind. So every time Jesus healed someone with long-term blindness, he was doing something new. He was showing them a new thing has come, a new wave has come into this world, a new movement has come into this world, a new power has come into this world. And there is, that's the second reason, there is a third reason that I believe that this is Jesus' favorite miracle to perform, and I'll tell you that at the end of the sermon. We're going to hold that one for the end of this message today. But we need to go ahead and dive into the scripture. We need to go ahead and look at John chapter 9 this morning. This story takes up the whole chapter. It's a lot of reading. Pastor Blake said as he was entering the scripture into the computer this morning, he said, man, you got a lot of scripture today. You're killing me. I said, well, the whole chapter is literally this story. So what we're going to do is we're going to go into the scripture, and then we're going to go into an explanation of it. And we're going to go back into the scripture, and we're going to go, and that's kind of going to be kind of the flow this morning. We go into the scripture, and then we go into an explanation. Is that okay? That's how I'm going to preach it this morning. If it's not okay, it's still what you're going to get. So I hope it's okay. But it's John chapter 9. We're looking, we're starting with verses 1 through 12. Reading from the New Living Translation this morning. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, that means teacher. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Jesus answered, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Do you believe Jesus is the light of the world this morning? He was then, he is now. And I love that he tells us, he says that he's the light of the world, but there's passages where he says, you are the light of the world. How can that both be true at the same time? How can Jesus be the light of the world and we also be the light of the world? It's very simple. We reflect his light. When we're doing what we need to do, when we're living the way we need to live, when we're in his spirit and following according to the steps of the spirit, then we reflect the light and we become the light of the world. No pressure. No pressure this morning, but you're the light of the world. 
You're the light of the world. It's not the government that's the light of the world. It's not some organization out there that does good works besides the church. No, the church, you're the light of the world. I'm the light of the world, so we need to shine brightly. If we don't shine, there's no other light out there. We're the light of the world, reflecting the true light of the world. Verse 6. Then he spit on the ground. He made mud with the saliva and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. I'm the man. They asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. Let me give you some points on this portion of Scripture. The first thing you need to know is that the disciples are dense. The disciples are dense. The question they ask, who sinned, him or his parents, that he would be born blind? Now let's think about this for a second. If he was born blind, how could his sin have caused that? Was he sinning in the womb? Was he sinning before he was born? I mean, that makes absolutely no sense. Did his sin cause him to be born blind? Was it retroactive? The disciples are a little bit dense. Or they say, what about his parents? It must have been his parents then. His parents messed up in some way. By the way, let me, let me say this right here. I need to preach on this for a second. Sometimes we see because we're dense too. Sometimes we see people who have special needs children who are born into their family that something, they must have done something wrong for that child to be born into their family. Or sometimes I hate this, y'all. Don't ever say this again. If you said it, the Lord will forgive you, but don't say this again. Sometimes when people have a miscarriage, a couple has a miscarriage, you'll say, well, maybe there was something wrong with the baby. As if a disability or something like that would make that child less human and it's less of a tragedy when a husband and wife lose a baby. Please don't say that. Let me tell you what I believe the truth is about children or uh, children who are disabled, have handicaps, that thing, who are born to couples. I believe sometimes that's God's grace. I believe sometimes that's God saying, look, I'm going to give you, I trust you enough to give you a special child to deal with. I trust you enough to give you a child to raise and to love. And by the way, if you know people like that, they teach us a whole lot more than we teach them. So please don't say that and please don't be dense like those disciples. <laughs> Must have been his parents. But Jesus says, no, no. This is for the glory of God to be revealed in him. He has this condition because God is about to do something amazing through this man. Have you ever thought of your difficulties that way? Have you ever thought that maybe God has allowed some difficulties to come into your life so His glory could be manifest through you? I heard this, uh, this week a, a minister say that your story is revealed in your scars. Your story is revealed in your scars. The things you've gone through, the brokenness in your life, the struggles that you've had, they're the one that, that, that's where this true story is told. 
That's where God gets the glory is through your scars, not through your perfection, not through the good things about you, but through your brokenness, through your brokenness. So we need to change our thinking. Sometimes we go through stuff so that God's glory can be manifest in our lives. His glory can be made real to the world in our lives. So hold on to that truth. So Jesus says you're wrong. It's not him. It's not his parents. This is for God's glory. So that's the first thing. The disciples were dense. The second thing from that section of scripture is that the healing was weird. I mean, let's just be real about it. The healing was kind of not the way we would normally expect Jesus to heal someone. It was a strange healing. Jesus spit on the ground, and he bent down, and he made mud, and then he put mud on the guy's eyes. And, you know, nobody's really come up with a great explanation for why in the world Jesus did that. I read some commentators who said maybe, maybe it was because it takes us back to the creation and, and that mankind was made out of the dust of the ground, the dirt of the ground. And maybe it's to point back to that. But I'm not sure we can really say that 100% that the scripture really points back to that. Or maybe it's about, some commentators said, maybe it's about the gospel. It's strange and repugnant to us because we want to earn our way to heaven. And God says, no, 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 you don't have to earn your way to heaven. My son has already paid the whole cost. And that's repugnant to us. It's like spit and dirt and mud. It's something that we would not want to apply to our lives necessarily because we want to do it on our own. And that's not a bad point, but I'm not sure that's sustainable by the Scriptures. Maybe, though, I heard this and I thought this was a good point. Maybe, maybe Jesus healed him in a weird way so that we can remember that God is God and we're not. The way we would have chosen for it to happen did not happen. The way we expected for it to happen did not happen. But God does it in a completely different way. Jesus does it in a completely different way. And that means we have to have faith. I mean, imagine this. Jesus put mud on the eyes of the blind guy. And he said, now go to the pool of Siloam. Not I'm going to take you by the hand and I'm gently going to lead you to the pool of Siloam. Which means sent. Jesus sent him to this pool. Jesus said, hey, you got to find him. I've done this for you, but now you have to have enough faith to go and wash. You have to have enough faith to find your way to this place. And if you have enough faith to, be, to do that, then you'll be healed. There's faith in the middle of this story. By the way, if we don't have healing in our lives, a lot of times it's because of faith. Not always. But sometimes it's because our faith is not there. God has given us a chance to exercise our faith. So the man goes to the pool of Siloam. He washes, and then he can see and the people who knew him as a blind beggar say, that's him, that's him, yeah, that's him. Have you ever seen somebody and you thought you recognized them? I, there's a pastor in town that I, I have only met online. I only have him as a friend on Facebook. And I was in this restaurant and I looked over and I was like, man, that's him. That's got to be him. That looks just like him. I even pulled my phone out and got on Facebook and I looked up and said, yeah, yeah, that's him. And I walked over and I said, hey, are you so-and-so? Nope, I don't know him. I don't know who that is, you know. That's kind of what they were doing with this guy. They were saying, it has to be him. No, it's not him. Yes, it is. It just looks like him. And the guy says, y'all, listen, it is me. The man named Jesus healed me. The man named Jesus came along and he changed my whole life. He healed me. Let's go back into the scripture. John 9, 13 through 17. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees. Why did they do that? I don't know. Took him to the Pharisees. Because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. 
So he told them, he put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, What's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. At least he's got to be a prophet. At least he's got to be somebody sent by God. At least, he, look, I was blind, but now I see. I think he's from God. I don't care what you guys think. At least he's from God. At least he's a prophet. I mean, bless this guy's heart, though. He just gets healed, and then he gets sent to the principal's office. He just gets healed and they send him to the Pharisees. Are the Pharisees ever happy? Are the Pharisees ever rejoicing? Oh, blind man was healed. Yeah. No, they're not that kind of people. You know that kind of people? Doesn't matter what good happens, they're going to find bad in it. Some people have the gift of discouragement. You know what I do when I see those people? I go the other way hard as I can. We had a woman here. Lord, forgive me for even telling this. But we had a woman here one time. Eight straight Sundays, she had a different complaint about the church. I, I counted it. It was two straight months. Every Sunday, she had a new complaint about our church. What did I do finally on the ninth Sunday? I'm going this way. I see you there. I'm going this way. You're over there. I'm going the long way around. I'm not coming around you because I don't need that sort of discouragement. Eventually, think she found her way to worship somewhere else, and I bet she found some complaints there, too. That's the attitude of these Pharisees. A poor guy just gets healed and they take him, take it to the Pharisees. Why? Well, one of the reasons is Jesus did that on the Sabbath. Jesus did that seven times in the Gospels, by the way. Seven times Jesus heals on the Sabbath. And by the way, there's no rule in the Old Testament that says you can't heal on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is for doing good. And the Sabbath is for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus explains all this. But seven times he does that. You say, Jesus, this, if you're making these Pharisees mad, Jesus, why do you keep doing this? Anybody ever seen the movie Braveheart? Anybody ever seen the movie Braveheart? I know you watched the edited version, right? I know, I know you did. The movie Braveheart, though, I love where William Wallace, he's, he's surrounded by all these guys, and they're all talking about what they're going to do, and their battle strategy and all this, talk, 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 and all of a sudden, he gets on his horse and he heads off, and they're like, William, where are you going? And he says, I'm going to pick a fight. Remember that scene? That's the attitude of Jesus. Jesus was doing this just to provoke them. Jesus was going to pick a fight. That goes again. I know that goes against our fluffy, wimpy, watered-down, feminized American version of Jesus. I know it does. But it's in the Bible. Seven times he's like, you jerks, I'm going to pick a fight with you. You're holding people down. You're not celebrating the good that God's doing. I'm going to pick a fight with you. I'm going to come in your face. I'm going to do what you don't like. Just to agitate and just to make some things change in this world. So I love that about Jesus. I'm a little bit like Jesus sometimes in that way. So the Pharisees, they end up divided. And they ask the healed man, who do you say that Jesus is? And again, he says, at least he must be a prophet. By the way, there are millions of Muslims around the world right now who say the same thing. Jesus must be a prophet. They believe he's a prophet, but they do not believe he was the son of God. To say that he's a prophet or say that he's a good man doesn't go far enough. Because he's more than that. But at least this guy was on the right path. At least this guy was getting close to the answer. So let's go back to the Bible. 
John chapter 9, verses 18 through 25. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man that had been, had been blind and could now see. So they called in his parents. Mom and Dad, you've got to come to the principal's office now. They asked him, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said he's old enough. Ask him. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind and now I can see. I was blind and now I can see. You know that's where that line of amazing grace comes from, right? It comes from this text. I was blind, but now I can see. This guy... This guy has been nothing more than a poor beggar. He's not studied the Torah. The Pharisees, to become a Pharisee, you had to memorize the first five books of the Bible. Have you ever read the first five books of the Bible? Genesis is pretty exciting. Some of Exodus is pretty exciting. Got to be honest, gets a little boring after that, doesn't it, with what's in there. But these guys memorize the first five books of the Bible. And there's some length to that too. So these guys had studied the Bible. They were Bible scholars. They were Bible memorizers. They won, they won the gold star for most memory verses in Sunday school. I mean, they really did. These guys, and this guy hadn't done that. He had not studied theology. To be a Pharisee, you had to study, you had to apprentice under someone who knew more than you for a period of time, a decent period of time. This guy hadn't done that. They had. He had not. He'd never preached a sermon. He'd never led a Bible study. None of that. All he was was a blind beggar. And he doesn't know a lot. But one thing he does know, I was blind and now I see and Jesus is the reason why. I was blind, now I see, Jesus is the reason why. There's a lot of you out there who say you don't know enough to be a witness for Christ. You can't go out there and tell your story. You can't go out there and, and lead people to Christ. You can't be a witness. And so we leave that to the professionals. Leave that to me and others who are on staff or whatever. Because I can't do that. I don't know enough. But look, you don't have to know that much. All you have to know is that you were blind and now you see. And Jesus is the one that did it. All you have to know is your story. Nobody can take your story away from you, by the way. You tell somebody, this is how I was. Then I met Jesus, and this is how I am now. You just give simply your testimony. And they can argue, they can know a million things. They can have an IQ of 160 or whatever. They can blow you out of the water on so many arguments, but they cannot take your story away from you. They cannot take the truth of what Jesus did for you away from you. And that's simply all you have to know is I was blind and now I see. I was lost and now I'm found. I met Jesus and he changed everything. That's all you have to know. You can be a witness. Don't give me that excuse that you can't be a witness. You can be a witness if you know what Jesus has done for you. Give us God some glory right there. It's easy. It's easy. John chapter 9, verses 26 through 34. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Did you want to become his disciples too? I love that. That's sarcasm right there. You 
guys must really like him. You keep asking questions about him. Talking about the Pharisees here, then they cursed him. That's some good preachers there who end up cussing a man out, huh? But anyway. And said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a total sinner, they answered, and you're trying to teach us? And then they threw him out of the synagogue. Don't come back to this church no more. You know, you, you, you're coming against us. You think you're better than us. You're gone. We're going to kick you out. John chapter 9, verses 35 through 41. When Jesus heard that this had happened... what they thought and then they kick him out but Jesus goes and tracks this man down so he really traded a bunch of losers who were cussing people out and who were so pious and holy in their own self-righteousness and they weren't any good to anybody he traded them for the son of God that's a pretty good trade right that's a pretty good trade when Jesus heard what had happened he found the man and asked him do you believe in the son of man do you believe that I am the one prophesied in Daniel that was to come in the Old Testament? The man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. Oh, I wish people had that attitude. I want to believe in him. I think our culture doesn't want to believe in him. Because if they believe in him, then they're going to have to have a life change. If they believe in him, then he gets on the throne of their life, and they're not on the throne of their life anymore. That's tough. I heard a, read an article this week about millennials, and millennials not wanting to come to church, and you know, I, I know the church is partly at fault, but I also think, you know what, it's not just a single generation, but it's just everybody. We don't want to come to church because we don't want our toes stepped on. We don't want to hear that God is in control. We don't want to hear that He's in charge. A lot of times it's not necessarily the church. It can be. A lot of times it's not necessarily that. It's us. We don't want to bow down. We don't want to bow down and say, He's Lord and I'm not. He's God and I'm not. And so that can be the problem there. Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. Jesus said, you have seen him, and he is speaking to you. Immediately, look at this, immediately, yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. He worshiped Jesus. Transformation right there. Life change right there. Then Jesus told him, I've entered this world to render judgment. Boy, that's a verse that Joel Osteen doesn't preach, but we'll keep going. To give sight to the blind and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, Are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied. But you remain guilty because you claim you can see. Here's why this is Jesus' favorite miracle. Are you ready? Reason number three, the best reason of the three that I'm going to give you. Physical blindness which some people are born with, corresponds with the spiritual blindness which every human being is born with. We're born blind. Spiritually speaking, we might be able to see physically, but spiritually speaking, we are born blind. 
The man had a problem. He could not physically see the reality around him. But the Pharisees had a deeper problem. They couldn't spiritually see the greatest reality right in front of them, Jesus Christ. They could not see Jesus. So they were more blind than the man who was physically blind. Because spiritually they were blind and spiritually he changed and he was able to see. He was able to physically see and spiritually see. This week, I talked to you a little bit about the Building 429 concert on Sunday night and that was a great time. But not everybody knew this, but Monday I had an opportunity to go with most of the guys. Their drummer wasn't able to go with them, but most of the guys from Building 429, we were able to go into Caswell Prison. And we were able to do a prison ministry there with about 500, just a little south of 500 different inmates that were at that prison. Certain ones were able to come in and Building 429 played music for them and witnessed to them and gave their testimony and their story to them. And I was able to give the altar call at the end. And, and God just worked in such an amazing way. Some of you know Tommy Lawrence, who, who's part of our church, and this is Tommy's ministry that he has started. And uh, the ministry is just simply taking uh, Christian, uh, contemporary Christian acts into the prisons to play for the guys that are in prison. And we were able to go to these inmates, and we were able to give them a, a Chick-fil-A sandwich, and we were able to give them a Chick-fil-A cookie and a bottle of Coke. And one inmate said, that's the first Chick-fil-A sandwich I've had in 21 years. Amazing. Talked to another guy who was serving a 35-year sentence, and he's on year 32. And he loved the Lord. He loved the Lord. He was so excited about the concert, and he was praising God, and he was talking to me. And he, he served 32 years. Guys, I'm 39 years old. Since I was 7 years old, this guy has been in prison. And you know what he said to me? God is good. He's in the middle of a prison camp. He's surrounded by gates, and he's surrounded by fences and razor wire at the top and officers, guards that will take them down if they try to escape, you know, and, and this is his life. And he says to me, God is good. God is good. And he talked to me about how he has a son that's about to enter the ministry and, you know, he just shared with me. And, and, and an incredible thing, Building 429 didn't have their drummer with them, but they had a prison uh, praise team. We met in the room where they usually hold their praise services, their worship services, and the prison praise team got up and they opened for Building 429. And then because they didn't have their drummer, the lead singer of Building 429 asked the praise team, prison drummer, to come and play with them. Now guys, that impressive. Because there's not a lot of big name Christian acts or any kind of acts that's going to ask somebody to do that with them, but he did. And we found out as as he played and then we had a break and then we actually had two different sessions during the break I was able to talk to that drummer and I found out that he and I went to high school together for two years he was a year behind me in school and, and we, so we went to school together for a while and I thought wow from Ashburn what a, what a divergence in life all because of Jesus but this man had come to know Jesus and he was worshiping and praising Jesus and he told me he said my life will be forever changed because of today he said, I was wavering in my faith a little bit, but this has encouraged my faith and it has built my faith up. But the point I really want to make to you about all that, and by the way, we had 11 inmates who chose Jesus Christ that was in those worship services. But the thing that blew me away was here these men in a cinder block building, behind bars, behind 
gated walls, razor wire, guards, the whole nine yards, the whole deal. And these guys love the Lord and they were worshiping. I mean, they were worshiping. Not free, physically speaking, not free, but free to worship. In fact, the lead singer, Jason Roy, the lead singer of Building 429, said, I wish I could take you guys with me to my church so you can teach those folks how to worship God. Because they loved the Lord and they were worshiping God. And I thought, isn't it amazing? I've got brothers and sisters in prison. I've got spiritual brothers and sisters. Part of my family with God is here. And they're locked up and they're awaiting the day that they'll be physically set free. But they're already free because they know Jesus. So on the ride there and the ride back, we passed some nice homes. Very nice homes. Obviously, the people who live there are free to go and come as they please. I'm sure their refrigerators are full of food. I'm sure they have Chick-fil-A anytime they want, except on Sunday. <laughs> Everything going for them. But some of the people that live in those homes are shackled and chained because they can't see Jesus Christ. They can't really see Him. Those guys in prison could really see Him, and praise God, 11 more could see Him after we left and could see Him when we came there that day. But those guys really see Him and know Him, and so they're free. Like the first song that we sang today, I'm free. I'm free to run. I'm free to dance. I'm free to live for you. I am free because of what Jesus has done. Guys, that's the most important thing in life. Can you hear me? Are you listening to me right now? The most important thing in life is can you see Jesus? Can you see him for who he really is? The Pharisees couldn't. And so they were lost. Couldn't. And they were lost. But the man born blind could see him. Eventually could see who he really was. And so he was saved. He was saved. Biggest thing in the world. Biggest difference in the world. Can you see Jesus? Or can you not see Jesus? I wrote down, I didn't even have this in my notes this morning, but it's just kind of like God laid this on my heart to talk to you because I think a big problem in the Bible Belt, you know, we grow up in church, around church, everybody goes to church, grandma and grandpa went to church, and, you know, we just, we, it's that whole thing, we just, you know, a lot of times you'll ask people, are they a Christian, or when do they become a Christian, and they'll just say, well, I always have been. Well, I don't think that's the right answer. I think there's a point, there's a point where you come to where you see Jesus for who he really is. And I think we've got a lot of people in this area who maybe think they're safe who aren't safe. I hate to be real, but I mean, I see the actions, I see outside of church what goes on, and I think, you know what, it just doesn't add up. They think they're saved, but do you, today are you really saved? Do you really, really see him? So I wrote down three things real quick this morning. If you don't really see Jesus, you're going to have a religion and not a relationship. I hate it. I know it. sociologists would use this term, and I get in the technical sense what they're talking about, but I hate to hear Christianity called a religion. Because it's really not. A religion is something you do. It's a pattern of life that you keep in order to reach the divine or reach heaven or whatever. And it's a religious action that you do time and time again. That's a religion. I don't have a religion. Although I do have patterns built into my life, my life, that's not what saves you. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Old song says he walks with me and he talks with me. Day by day I talk to him. Day by day he's present. Day by day I see him show up. 
Day by day I see him uphold me when otherwise I would fall apart. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I can tell you right now you don't really see him. I've talked to, to lots of folks over the years and they'll talk about when they saw the person the first time that they were going to marry. I talk to guys and they say, the first time I saw her, I knew I had to marry her. She was so beautiful and wonderful and attractive to me. I was going to make sure I got to know her and I was going to make sure that she was my wife. Jesus is that attractive. If you really see Jesus, you want him to be the Lord of your life. You want a relationship with him. You don't want to just keep some religious principles. You really want a relationship with Jesus. I'm so glad I have a relationship with him. I'm so glad in the dark times of my life I can talk to him. I'm so glad that he answers me. You say, Brent, you really think God talks to you absolutely? I don't always hear him clearly. Sometimes Brent gets in the way of that, but he really does talk to me. So if you have a religion and not a relationship, I don't think you've really seen him. I don't want to hurt you this morning. I want to help you. But I don't think you've really seen him. If that's the way you feel about things. Second thing I wrote down this morning. If you have a Jesus that you can put on the shelf, I don't think you've really seen him. Because we come in here on Sunday morning, we raise our hands and we lift our voices and oh yes, praise God. But then how do we live Monday through Saturday? Maybe, maybe, maybe we pick him up again on Wednesday night, you know. Because Wednesday night there's these life groups and stuff. And so we, we pick Jesus back up off the shelf on Wednesday night. And here Jesus, you get to be part of my life tonight. Aren't you so pleased? And then Sunday morning, okay Jesus, I'm going to give my time to you. You know, you can come off the shelf now and I'm going to put you back over there. I'm going to put you back up there when I'm in relationships that I shouldn't be in. I'm going to put you back over there when I'm watching stuff online, on television, that, that doesn't please you. I'm going to put you back over there when I see the poor and needy and I walk right on by. I'm going to put you back over there when I know there are things going on in our society that are just terrible. And I'm going to act like they don't happen. Jesus, I'm just going to put you back over there. If you've got a Jesus you can put on the shelf, i just tell you right now, you haven't seen him. You really haven't seen him. Because once you see him, you know he's the king of glory. Once you see him, you know he's so far, so much greater than you, you have to bow down. Once you've seen him, you want him to be the Lord of your life. You don't want to put him on the shelf and have a half-time, part-time Jesus. You want him everywhere you go. Everything you say. Everything you think. Waking and sleeping, you want him to be part of your life. So some of you this morning have a Jesus you can put on a shelf, and I'm telling you this morning, I hate that. I'm not trying to hurt you again. I'm trying to help you. But you don't really, really see him. If that's your attitude toward him, you really haven't seen him the way that you need to see him. Last thing I wrote down on this little sticky note this morning. If you don't have joy, you really haven't seen him. To know him is to have joy. And I'm not talking about happiness. That every, you say, Brent, every day of the week, every second of the day, you're happy? No. I'm not telling you that this morning. I have my down times. I have my rough times. I have times that I go through that just, you know, overwhelm me. And, and sometimes I, I tend to despair and everything else. But at the back of all that, I have joy. At the back of all that, I have joy. Yeah, I have my ups and downs. Yes, sometimes this world beats me up just like it does you. But at the back of all that, I have joy because I know where I'm headed. And I know who's walking with me until I get there. I know Him. To know Him is to have joy. You ever been around a person who's just so full of life that just to be in their presence, you know you're going to be happy? 
You know, that you have that kind of friend who just picks you up and just, you know, is just, well, he's way better than that. He's way better than that. When you're around him, when you really get in his presence, you have joy. You have joy unspeakable and full of glory. You have that sort of joy. If you don't have joy, I don't think you've seen him. I don't think you've really seen who he is. If you don't have joy. I have joy in my life. You know, I, my wife and I talked about it to you. We, we lost a baby, but even through that, we had joy. Go through a cancer scare and everything else, even through that, I had joy. Ups and downs with this church. And man, sometimes, sometimes being a pastor is tough. But even through that, all of that, I still have joy. Because I know who saved me. And I've seen him. I'm not, I'm not saying Jesus has appeared to me physically in some way. That's not happening. But I've seen him high and lifted up. As the song says, over the eyes of my heart have been opened that I see him shining in the light of his glory. I know who he is. I've seen him. I've seen him. It's nothing special about me. He revealed himself to me. My eyes were open to who he is, and I have joy because of that. Is that you this morning? Can you honestly say that you have joy? Can you honestly say that you have a relationship and not a religion? Can you honestly say that you have a Jesus that goes with you everywhere you go? Can you honestly say that your life is full of joy? Not always happiness, but full of joy. I want you to see him. If you've not seen him, I want you to see him. Because when you see him, it'll change everything. It'll change everything. I want you to see it. There's joy in seeing it. Oh, if you haven't seen him, there, there seems to be so many people who think they've seen him, but they're not living like they've seen him. I want you to see him. I came to Jesus as my Savior at eight years old, but at 19 years old, when I really was seeking him, I really saw him. I really saw him. For weeks, for months, I would ride around in my car listening to praise and worship music and cry and praise His name. Back and forth to college, you know, wherever I was, I was just so overcome with the joy of knowing the Lord because I saw Him. Have you seen Him today? Have you seen Him? That's the great malady of the human condition is that we are born not seeing Him. But He opens blind eyes if you'll let Him. If you'll have faith, if you'll trust Him, He'll open your eyes and you'll be able to see Him. This morning, this worship team is going to sing a song that we, we haven't had sung here before. And we weren't sure if this quite went with the, with the message, but we just kept coming back to it. So, I don't know. I pray, I pray, I believe that God's behind that. But we're just going to open up this area here. If you, need, if, if you don't feel like you're really seeing Him, you need to come and say, God, let me see Jesus for who He is, for real. I'm tired of playing church. I'm tired of having religion. I want to see Him. I want to know the joy of knowing Him and really seeing Him. If that's you today, brave man or woman, I know there's a bunch of folks in here. I know that it's kind of embarrassing to come right here. I know all that. But He loved you enough that He hung naked on the cross for you. Spat upon, beaten, and despised. He did that because He loved you. He publicly showed His love for you. And he's calling you to publicly show your love for him. So this morning, during this song, if you need to, I want to invite you to come. Be brave enough to step out and come. Stand right here, kneel right here, sit on the front pew. I don't care what it looks like, but make a move. We're amphibians as human beings. Our body and our spirit are linked. 
I know you say, well, I can pray the prayer in my spirit. Yes, but when you do something with your body, it says something to your spirit about this is real. This is real. So this morning I'm inviting you. I've got to get out of the way and I've got to let this worship team lead you to think more about what we've been talking about this morning. But I pray that you would come. I pray that you would come. If, you're, if you've seen him before and you don't think you're seeing him as well as you should right now, come. Come and pray. Do some business with God this morning. Lunch will be there. Other things will be there. Right now, Jesus is passing by, and he wants you to reach out and just touch the hem of his garment and see him for who he is. Stand with us this morning, and I invite you to come. Please come and see the Lord.